This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Hello, hello, hello. It's me, Michelle, your host and pocket DJ. You're listening to Coffee Fueled Stories, a show where storytelling and coffee hang out. This is the final episode of season three. We finished the year with another great guest, Helen Aitchison. I totally messed up my own intro when I was talking with her, and then I totally messed up her name. We had a good laugh, and we kept going. Thank you for listening and making Season 3 end on a high note. Wishing you happy holidays and a safe and healthy new year. Helen Aitchison. Aitchison. I just screwed it up, and I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's all right. Uh, It it sounded a a bit Australian there. I liked it. (laughs) So, Helen... We're going to talk about a couple of your books, The Dinner Club, and Life and Love Attempts of Kitty Cook. Yeah. We have a lot to chat about, so welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting us. So uh, let's let the listeners know a little bit about you. You are in England. I'm in, yes, I am in Northeast England, kind of close to the Scottish border. Very cool. So do you do you go into Scotland and just every now and then pop in for like a cup of tea or anything like that? No, not really. Probably once a year. I'm about an hour and a half away from Edinburgh. So um, I'm on the coastline, the northeast coast, which is beautiful. We've got a beautiful coastline and lots of history and countryside. So it's a, it's a brilliant place and the people are known for being friendly and with good banter. There's something so magical about like the folklore, the mythology, yeah. the countryside, it's magical. It just sounds like a magical place to live. I mean, it is, you know, especially my part of the world, it's got a lot of history. Um, you know, and it's just, it is a brilliant place. There's something for everyone in the area I live in, but it is cold all the time, Michelle. And I think we we'll always want what we haven't got. And likewise, I love America, I love California, you know. Um, so we'll always kind of want something we haven't got, but we we'll have got a, a real rich tapestry of history in the UK. Um, and that is very interesting and appealing to tourists as well as locals. So well, come and visit, come and visit. And you can I meet Eric. most definitely will. I would, <laughs> let's get to know Helen. So your lovely books. So in your acknowledgements, you use the word delightful in regard mm-hmm. to dinner club. And this is what's crazy. I read it and I wrote down delightful story characters and world I too wanted to be a guest at dinner club and then I got to your acknowledgments and I saw delightful and I was like yeah (laughs) get in (laughs) I was like I'm there I'm so there and then the best word that I could describe for uh life and love of kitty cook and there, there was just this endearingness about it let's talk about let's talk about that one first so breakups suck right Yes, yes. And in the book, um, the character of Kitty is based on myself. Um, and my I had kind of 30 odd first dates till I found my beloved. So it was really, I guess, 
important for me as someone who was single in um, after a long-term relationship in the 30s that you can find love in different places. So I did a lot of internet dating, um, but also you can meet people in real life, you know, at work or at the gym or, you know, bumping into someone in a supermarket. So it was important for me to write that book as part of the, the fact that I had some really, you know, terrible dates and 85% of those dates are true. Um obviously slightly altered for <laughs> for reasons I don't want to be going to court. Um, but those incidences are, are true. And I think we can kind of, when we're in a long-term relationship or a breakup, we'll need to find ourselves again. So for me, Kitty Cook was around first and foremost, self-acceptance and self-love, and then being ready to go back into the, the unknown and into the world of dating after a decade where things change, you know, dating life changes um, but I never really give up on love. And when I was dating, um, on my many, many, many dates, my friend who was 20 years older than me was also dating. So it was just to kind of demonstrate that you're never too old to find love, um, you know, when you can find love in different places. And there is a happy ever after for everyone. You've just sometimes got to be a bit more patient, like Kitty Cook was. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, as I'm reading your book and I'm thinking about like, when I was younger and and breaking up and how it just seemed harder to try to, as you said, find yourself again Mm -hmm. or find new people to help you find yourself again. And it seems like now, uh, back when I was dealing with breakups, it seemed harder. Now there's meetups, social media, Mm -hmm. so many ways to meet new people and find joy as one is healing. There's retail therapy, there's food, you can join cooking classes. It seems like I felt like I, I pretty much only had a few places to go. And it seems like now where we have the capacity to yeah. to, to go tell a whole lot of someone else's or don't absolutely. tell anybody else now. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a, there's a culture change as well, I think, Michelle, which is really important. And I think as generations have passed, it's more acceptable to meet people in different places, you know, and to keep looking for the right person rather than settling. Maybe for a first date. And I always think about my my grandma who spent, you know, 35 years alone after my granddad passed. And, and if that happened now, it would be much more accepted that she could find a new partner. And I think that's brilliant about the way dating life's changed and that people are more accepting of different relationships where they were never in the past. And really, it is around finding that that person for each and every one of us. And that should never give up hope. But there is a lot more choice. And, you know, people can be themselves without the pressure of having to be something that they're not or expected to conform to a a norm that was around 20 years ago. And I think that's that's really progressive in the relationship world. And I think it makes it much easier for people to not be lonely and not be alone. Absolutely. Um, I I don't know if you've ever seen the movie um, The Matchmaker. Uh, with Janine mm-hmm. Garofalo. So uh, it, it's a, they have a matchmaking festival. It takes place in, in uh, Ireland. It, what's really cool about that particular movie is it does. It shows the young trying to find love and it shows the older who've oh, been alone, you. the widows, the widowers, who are like, you know what? It's cold and lonely in my house. I don't want to be cold and lonely in my house. I, you know, I want to share a cup of tea with someone and have a conversation. It's exactly what you said. Like now it's a lot more socially acceptable to not just if, if you're in, okay, let's use me for example. I became a widow at 47. So am I just supposed to not have anyone for the rest of my life? 
you know, I mean, it, I, I could, um, but I did find a, a, a happily ever after and I didn't know that I would. Mm-hmm, and, absolutely. you know, and, and so again, it, this goes back to, it's not how it was a few generations ago where you Absolutely. just kind of- we've always had that we've always had that needs you know it's like i love the theorist called maslow and this hierarchy of needs is you're never going to get to the top to the top of self-actualization unless you have the basics and the basics as well as shelter and food is love you know and it's it's just fundamental to us as human beings and it's we're born to love and be loved and that's regardless of how we have breakups or you know we'll lose people which is tragic and i know you write a lot about this in your memoir but there's some, for me there's something about we deserve happiness and you know the people who we give our love to deserve that from us as well as receiving it back so I hope people read Kitty Cook and thought well actually you know I'm single but I could go and find someone and um you know it happens at any age and, and there is someone for everyone and that's that's the main message but also around accepting myself and that we're enough and that can be hard after a breakup and it was hard for me but you know it, it worked out the best path that I could have walked and now I'm lucky enough to have found, you know, my happy ever after. So hopefully everyone, everyone gives himself that chance, really. Absolutely. Um, and, and to tap in on uh, grief real quickly, because um, uh, it, it fits perfectly with this, this part of the conversation. On page 44 of Dinner Club, uh, in regard to grief, they say time heals. It doesn't. It gives us better ways of managing grief, but it never dissolves the pain. We simply become used, we become used to the void in our life. And that's a hundred percent true. Like it, it never goes away. We just figure out how to live with that little, you know, dark spot or hole in your heart, however you want to describe it. Loss is loss. If you think about it, the difference is one's gone forever yeah, and and the other one is still alive, but there's still a loss. There's still a hole. So grief and breakups. So these passages kind of are similar. You know, so even yeah. though it is a breakup, it's still a loss. And Absolutely. by the way, I love Derek. I love. Oh, him. I'm pleased. I love oh. Derek. As well. <laughs> I just, I just, you just—he's like a teddy bear. You just want to hug him. You just want to hug is, Derek. <laughs> so, since we're talking about Derek and things of that nature, food. Let's get on the topic of food because I love talking about food. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay, perfect. So, let's get to know you. What is a favorite dish you like to cook and or eat or both? Right. This is a brilliant question because there's a guy up in the writing community, Daniel Monroe, who is brilliant. Um, and he's also a trained chef. So as well as being artistic with his words, he's artistic with his food. So um, one of my favorite foods is crisps, like potato chips. Um and I do eat quite healthy. I'm vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian for over th- three decades. Um, but I love crisps. So my favourite meal, and my partner laughs at us because I'm just like the cheapest, <laughs> the cheapest like foodie ever, is just loads of crisps, like a sandwich, a crisp sandwich. I like a bit of lettuce, a bit of cucumber, some cheese, and then some crisps. So Daniel does Taste Tuesday. And every Tuesday there's this beautiful array of um, artistic food that is just styled to perfection and looks even too good to eat. It's like a masterpiece. So I said, well, I want a crisp sandwich. So today he's done a video that is on Instagram of just like three slices of bread, which is genius, with crisps in between. I was just like, that is perfect. So to answer your question, 
although I do cook and I do a lot of cooking from scratch, um, my favourite food is a crisp sandwich. And, and it's just, no matter where I go in the world, I just want crisps, to be honest with you. So that's that's my favourite. And kind of like your, um, your more corn snack crisps, so kind of onion rings and cheese puffs, cheese balls, that type of thing are my favourite. Um, Cheetos, I love spicy Cheetos which you get a lot of in America. So, so yeah, that's my favourite food. I know I sound like an eight-year-old, um, <laughs> but that's it. <laughs> I, I love it. And there's something, and maybe you can appreciate this as well. Um, so when um, I was trying to, uh, you know, like find happiness and, and things that would bring me joy, um, one of the things I realized was nachos. Oh, Is There's something about a chip with a little bit of cheese and maybe, you know, beans like black beans or refried beans mm. and a little bit of salsa that like, that was like the perfect quote meal, right? Perfect. So, yeah. It's a meal. It, it's a meal on a little chip. So the fact that you're talking about a crisp sandwich, I'm like, I'm right there with you, Helen. I will eat, <laughs> I will eat a meal on a chip. So there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Who needs top class restaurants when you can have a bag of Cheetos or Doritos sorted? <laughs> I I love it. So then a couple of questions here. So favorite dish cooked in. So we've got the crisp sandwich. But mm-hmm. your favorite smell and your favorite sound. Oh, I think my favorite smell. <laughs> this is another weird one. Probably has to be, you, you'll get this with Onyx, the smell of Eric's like head, especially in the summer when I just kiss his little head. And inhale his like catty scent. He's just his fur just smells amazing. When when I lost my cat, when I moved out home when I was eighteen, the first thing I got was a cat before I got a bed um, from the rescue centre. And when Holly was called, and I just remember the smell of Holly's head. And then when he died, I didn't have that for for about six years before I was ready to have another cat. And when we got Eric, and I smelled his little hair, and I was just like, that's the smell. Like I just think it's. It's amazing, especially in the, in the sun when it's warm, his little fur's been warmed up a little bit, and it just smells of of comfort and love. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And then, what would be your favorite sound? Have you noticed how Coffee Fueled Stories doesn't have any ads? That's because I work tirelessly to keep this show alive. After three years on my own. I've decided I need to ask for your help. I've never asked anyone to subscribe. I've never asked anyone to leave a review. I've never asked anyone to rate the show. And I've never asked anyone to pay to listen. There are a few ways you can help support the show. I've created a Patreon page, Coffee Field Stories, and a subscription section on my podcast website. It's simple to support and help me keep my dream alive. Just click the link in the show notes. To set up your paid subscription option. It's that easy. Thank you for your support. Well, it's certainly not Eric's cry because that's like a, a baby who it's just an awful cry. Um, my favorite sound. Mm, I think my favorite sound is um, when I'm working from home or I come in from work if I've been out and about. And I, and I get a hello from my partner and it's just, it, I just know I'm home. You know, it's not just about the place, it's about who you're with. And I think oh, yeah. that's my favourite, my favourite sound is him just saying hello, you know, when I come in um, and knowing that he's there and kind of 
that are welcome us. So I think that's probably my favourite sound. Oh, that's lovely. And then what would be your favourite sweet or treat? Oh, shall I go for an adult version or an eight-year-old? <laughs> Could be both. Doesn't have, doesn't so, have to be one. <laughs> I do love... Um, I think you guys will have it there, like a sticky toffee pudding and custard. Um, so normally, or like like a syrup sponge, normally it's made, a sticky toffee pudding is, is traditionally made with dates. Um, and I would have it with like hot custard. That would probably be my favourite sweet treat, but I, I literally never have it. Um, so if not, it would just be some chocolate, something like, I love Maltesers. Um, you get Maltesers there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like Maltesers. Um, lint chocolate um or even just as as is mentioned quite a lot in both my books a ginger nut biscuit dipped in a cup of tea i think you can never go wrong with biscuits and tea or coffee for yourself i'm a tea drinker um but biscuits and tea that's three isn't it i've been really greedy there <laughs> no that's perfect that, 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 that leads to the last well the second the, the penultimate question so i have tea coffee or other for you tea i've got my cup of tea here um i wish i liked coffee michelle but i don't um but this time of year in particular where it's all like um you know all kind of latte and christmasy flavors and cinnamon i think oh i wish i liked coffee but i just don't so it's always tea um yorkshire tea being my favorite you answered my question i don't i've never tried yorkshire tea i've i've had earl grey um, Irish breakfast, English breakfast, mm-hmm. and Persian tea. I love Persian tea, mm. um, but I've never had Yorkshire tea. Uh, is that like? Um, oh. It's just like English breakfast, really. Like you have Lipton, don't you? And when I'm in the states, I only get Lipton tea bags. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just like an English breakfast, really. Um, but out of all the of the kind of English breakfast teas, I think it's the nicest. It is a lovely, strong cuppa. Um, just very, very tasty. And I probably have about 10 cups a day. Nice. Is there, is it called like pH tips or something like that? Um, PJ tips, yeah. That PJ one's tips. okay. But um, Tetley, you might have heard of Tetley as well. Tetley, Tetley yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And then, of course, there's, um, what's the Harrods? Harrods tea is. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 My mom was a huge tea drinker. And oh. so, uh, here, you'll appreciate this story. So, my mom came to visit me. Uh, so I, I went off and I joined the military and then I oh didn't come back home. I moved to a different state and I finally had her over and I made her a cup of tea because I, so I went out and I, I bought all kinds of things for her so that oh. she could feel comfortable in my new home in this other state. But, but Helen, <laughs> I did not have porcelain. Or bone china. I served her tea in my coffee mugs and I microwaved the water. And then I oh, no, what? <laughs> I think her head like split open. Microwave the water. <laughs> because I didn't have a kettle. I didn't have a oh, kettle. Right, and so yes. I had to make do. It's kind of like, I felt like I was camping inside my own home, even though I wasn't. I mean, it was a home. I had running water. I had, you know, sewer. I had I had everything. But I didn't have bone china or porcelain. And I didn't have a kettle. And she literally, she drank it. But she was like, don't you ever microwave 
my water. <laughs> yeah, uh, sounds yeah. sounds bad. <laughs> bad times. <laughs> and so from that point on, I always bought a kettle. You know, I always had a kettle on the stove. Now, mind you, the thing was empty and dusty like for years because she would like she didn't come visit like I would go visit her but if she ever wanted to come visit me I had a kettle damn it I had it ready you had it ready but it, it put her off the first time it put her off that microwave with water <laughs> I was I I was taught and the funniest part too was she told everybody in the family because my mom knows like I grew up knowing how to serve my mom tea like I always like proper tea. Like she grew up oh. in Argentina and she drank high tea because the, oh. British, the, the British influence was very prevalent there. And so yeah, she, yeah. so when I served her the, the tea that I microwaved. <laughs> you never heard the end of it. I never heard the end of it. I never, <laughs> and, but and I always had a kettle though. I, after that, I learned, I was like, all right, flog <laughs> me forever on this one. I got you. I was like, I learned the first time. So here's the final question. Uh, did writing Dinner Club make you hungry? I'm kind of always hungry. I'm always thinking about food. So probably, but I would have had a lot of, I would have had a lot of breaks with a lot of biscuits and snacks to keep us going, which I think is important when you're writing, you know, to keep, keep your energy levels up. So yeah, it would have, it would have made us hungry, but I'm always kind of in that state anyway. So <laughs> Good. It wasn't just me because I was reading it and I was like, I'm hungry. And I don't know if it was because I didn't, I haven't eaten or, or I, I, I don't know. There was just so, I, I got excited when he would go shopping, when he would go to the shops. Yeah. I was like, oh, what are we going to get? What are we going to get? What's he getting? Is he getting any crisps? Yeah. <laughs> so now that we've discussed dinner club, I would like to talk with you about the other things that you work on. Uh, so I do have on here, I want to talk about your writing and your editing, your charity work, Eric, mm -hmm. um, duty and veterans voices and your poetry and short stories. So Brilliant. sound good? Brilliant. All right. So I know I said that I had, that was the last question about dinner club, but I actually have one more question as I was going through. My <laughs> so how did the idea for dinner club come about? And are there any characters based on actual people? Oh, that's a good question. So I think um, from a lot of my work experience, which was like 20 years working in health and social care and just from life in general, I feel that food really brings people together. Um, I used to do a, a, a group for women who had experienced sexual violence and domestic abuse and me and my colleague um, used to have this group every week and it was a place where women came together and they would it was sometimes the only safe space they had that week and they would eat toast, would, would you know, would make toast, um, would have biscuits and everyone enjoyed the environment and the food and it was just the simplicity of, of sharing something. Um, and I think, you know, one of the ways of well-being is to give to other people and I think people get as much from giving something as receiving and I think there's a lot of, for me, there's a lot of power in, in making something for someone, even if that's a cup of tea or a slice of toast and, I remember when, when I lived alone for, for quite some time after my breakup, I would go up to my parents, I would go to friends and the tea or the toast or whatever they made has always tasted a million percent better because it wasn't me having to do it. So there's something really powerful about um, the concept of eating together, but everything else that is in addition to the food. So I wanted to write about 
characters and I'm, I'm particularly interested in this is coming up in my next release as well my next book around intergenerational um relationships and how people can get on with people who are very different to them we just don't sometimes have the opportunity to meet new people so the dinner club kind of came from my my experiences and my understanding of the psychology of people the impact of food and that really we might look different but underneath we're all very similar so it was it was all around the kind of you know friendship and love and loss and hope and acceptance and finding acceptance and finding your tribe your people finding your people and feeling comfortable so that's where it kind of came from um I didn't really know where it was going I just sort of wrote it and, and let the curveballs come in but the character so Florence is based on my grandma and when I was writing the dinner club my grandma died suddenly so it became really cathartic for me um and there's kind of little bits of of Violet and me and then the rest of the people um this this kind of I guess snippets of people that I know and that I've met or I've worked with um this tiny, tiny part of my partner in Eddie, Moe's personality. Um, so, yeah, it is It is inspired by real people. And, and I always write about things that I know and things I've either experienced personally or through work or that loved ones have experienced. And I think that's where my authentic voice comes, through, through lived experience and through writing about what we know. And that's what I always kind of advocate people to do. Um, so, yeah, does that, does that kind of answer... Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's yeah. that's perfect. That's that's perfect. Um, and so that will that brings us to the next section. So this is perfect. It's it's a great segue. So um, how did you find writing the writing and the editing world? Like, did you always know as a child you wanted to be a writer? Like, was that something that you just inherently wanted? No, never, never. I was totally not interested. Never thought about it. Um, and I kind of fell into writing predominantly through reading um a colleague of mine who was in the police for many years um retired and came to work with the charity I worked for so he had been working um with sex workers as a, as a police officer um on the vice team and then he came over to the charity and, and one of the one of the services that I was managing and other people managed was around working with victims of sex trafficking and sexual exploitation and sex workers so we saw both sides of of the coin so to speak um and he wrote a book about his experiences, which was brilliant. And I was so proud of him. So he got me back into writing and uh, reading, sorry. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed. There was opportunities and I thought, oh, I want to write something. And then I read a, a brilliant book by Mitch Album that really stayed with me. And I thought, I want to, I want someone to feel like I do now by, by reading my writing. So I thought, well, I'll just give it a go. Um, this was before lockdown um, and I began writing small pieces, Michelle, support re in particular, which I think is a really brilliant outlet for your emotional state. So I was writing about things that were clearly um, my emotional state and I found it very therapeutic and I started to get little things published. So I thought, well, they kind of be that rubbish. Um, and then I started to write the dinner club. So basically before that, I'd never had any writing experience um, I wasn't interested and I think that's really important and when I when I teach creative writing I kind of I really I really kind of sell the fact that you can have always wanted to have done something and that's brilliant but you can wake up one day with a dream and absolutely try and pursue it and everything in between so 
society tells me that we've got we've always wanted to do something to be this to be that to be the other but really we can learn we can learn a skill at any age and for me writing is about imagination it's about life experience it's about story and it's about our own narrative and I think that comes at any time you know you can always have wanted to have done it or you can wake up and think I'm going to give it a try and the only feeling is never trying so so no I never wanted to be a writer um even when I was writing I thought "Mm, I'm not a writer um even when I got published I was still like right I feel like I'm in a cartoon I don't feel genuine um but now I've I've accepted it absorbed it and I'm I'm proud of myself and all the help I've had along the way so yeah that's my story so it's only four years I've been writing for four years wow that's and your the the writing style it just I would never know. It, it, it seems like it's been, it's been something that you've been doing like your whole life. It seems very natural. Like the, the prose is like the, everything about it is just very easy reading. It's not, you know, like thick. And, um, and I, I don't mean that like in a, in a bad way. I'm, I'm, this is a compliment, damn it. Um, it, it was, it was, um, I don't know that, like I said, there was just something really, I, I love, like I said, it was delightful. Like the old, the, the best way I can describe dinner club was it was a, it was delightful to read. It was delicious to read. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, you know, had a great story. And, you know, from the second we get introduced to Derek, you're like, I, I was instantly sucked in instantly. I was like, Oh, I was like, Brenda's a bitch. Like, <laughs> I'm a like bitch. Pardon my language. I was like, fuck Brenda. So, (laughs) you know, like, and that was by page two. Page two. I was in, I was like, Derek, good. Brenda, you'll get hit by a (laughs) truck or something. (laughs) I was trying not to be so violent, but what I'm saying is you just instantly get sucked in. And then same thing with, with Kitty, you know, she, she day three of breakup, you know, and then day five. <laughs> and, and so you're just, you just instantly, you, you instantly transported us into, into your world. And it wasn't, um, and I, I think there's just something, um, storytelling, like you said, we all have stories to tell. And that's why, that's why we do these things. And that's why I want to share these things. And especially you do a lot of charity work and that there's so many, there's several reasons I wanted to talk with you. Number one, uh, your, the, the books, number two, your charity work. And then, you know, number three, Eric, uh, number four, (laughs) number four, I would love to talk about, uh, duty and veteran voices like I would love to and so we don't have to go in that order um so uh we're gonna save Eric for last because I've got a feeling he's gonna he's gonna take up a lot of time and we want to give veterans voices some time and I want to give duty some time uh and I want to give you some time so so Eric you're just gonna have to wait you have to wait you have to you have to be patient for once in his little life (laughs) yes so so tell us about duty and veteran voices please brilliant thank you um so I set up a community interest company, um, which is like a non-profit organisation, last May. And at the time, I was still working full-time um, at a charity where I worked for 15 years. Um, right on the time is around combining my love for writing with my whole career, which has always been about working with marginalised groups. Um, it's all I've ever done. And I'm, I'd be rubbish at loads of other things, but I was really good at my job, and I think, you know, I can, I'm saying that because I think we don't give ourselves credit enough. Um, and within my job, 
I used to manage a number of services for marginalised groups, which included um, people who were homeless. It included young people leaving care, people experiencing domestic abuse, um, sexual violence and modern slavery, and veterans. So I managed some services over the years that were specifically for veterans who were more complex with regards to addiction issues or um, were ex-offenders or were homeless or had mental ill health and physical health issues. Um, so I know quite a lot about military history. I'm really interested. Um, my father served as a reservist for over four decades and he still works to support the cadets even though he's 71. Um, you know, me, me grandfather was in the military. Me grandma worked at the factory that built part of the Lancaster bomber for the Second World War. So there's a lot of kind of mil- bits of military history in me family. So when I set up right on the time, the first gig that I got was um, for the Queen's Jubilee. And there was a pot of money in a local a local charity operation veteran um, got in touch with me via a friend of, of ours, a mutual friend who, who did a lot of bid writing and asked if I would like to do something. So obviously I was really excited. It was the first thing I was going to do. I did do it in a ridiculously short period of time, which I would never, ever do again. Um, But I got involved with a charity and I went along and I met veterans. And the veterans were aged between 31, the youngest lady in the book, right up to 94, a lady called Audrey, who was a wren after the Second World War, and everyone in between. And it covered seven decades of conflict. Um, and when I went and kind of said, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to do, most of the people said, no one wants to hear my story, pet. And I was like, everyone wants to hear your story. And what really astonished me, even with with, with the experience I'd had in the work field um, and working with veterans, so all of my services were run by veterans. I'm not a veteran, but the, the staff, the support staff are veterans. And they just... That these individuals had never been asked the question. They'd never been asked, you know, what it was like in Northern Ireland or um, what it was like in Iraq or Afghanistan. And they just expect to get on with it. And the, the, the kind of relished the thought of speaking to someone who actually showed interest and wanted to know about the, the history. And, um, you know, that there were only children, there were 16, 17 when they went into the forces. So it was brilliant. It was a brilliant experience. And um, by the end of it, you know, when we launched the book, they all came along with the medals and the uniforms and all of them wanted to stand up and talk about the story. And it was just such a an important forum for them to be able to voice their experiences and how it impacted on their lives. And I just remember one guy who's in the book, Alan, who um, was a photographer as well as a soldier, and he was in Northern Ireland in the Troubles. And he had to go and take photos of the players who were the terrorists. And he also had to go and identify body parts and, and and look at you know take photos of the dead really and he, he had this massive photo album that he just said it was like you know what do you like with dead bodies and I was like oh and he had all these photos and he was talking about what was clearly PTSD and he, he got really upset and he's this, this guy's in his 70s and I said Alan is, is is no one ever spoken to you about this and he just said no one's ever asked and I thought that's that answers everything. You know, no one's ever asked this man how he felt after being in Northern Ireland and everywhere else, you know. And for me, it was around raising awareness, but also celebrating our heroes because they never see themselves as heroes. You know, you know, being in the military, um, they never see themselves as heroes. And we're just not grateful enough for, for the 
the fact that these people have, have, have helped to shape our survival and our safety and that there are heroes and for me the part of history and it's really important that the, that their stories remain and that they're there forever and it was great for me veterans voices because I was able to put me my own father's story in there and I learned about I learned things about my dad that I didn't know which was you know it was really interesting um so it was a lovely experience and then duty so I'd, I kind of I've published a couple of anthologies on different topics. I've just released one around um, people's experiences of addiction and recovery um, to substance misuse and a, a book about women and how women's roles have changed over time um, in an area of Newcastle that suffers from deprivation um, and how community stays the same and how, um, you know, just women's roles have changed, basically. And... After kind of just after um, Veteran Voices, I decided to look at having a branch of a publishing house as part of the community interest company. And the aims of the community interest company right on time are around making writing accessible and inclusive, and around getting Northern voices heard and Northern stories told. Um, and that was always really important to me, in particular working with people who would never get an opportunity and would never be asked those questions, or who think their story isn't important. So when I opened up as a um, publishing arm of it officially, um, I have signed a, a non-fiction, a fictional author who will be releasing her book with me. But Duty came along um, and it's just brilliant. It's just a brilliant book. And it got the number two in veteran autobiographies behind Chris Ryan. So I was like, get in um, on Saturday. Um, but Jeff Stevenson, the author, is just, he's everything that a Geordie should be. So Geordie's the, the type of the person from my part of the world will call ourselves Geordies. Um, and he's just a brilliant character. So when I was helping him and developing his memoir and he was writing it and more backwards and forwards, it was really easy because he's everything a character should be, but a very natural one. Um, and everything that a Geordie should be, everything a person should be. So he's a hard worker. He's a family man. He's humble and he's got brilliant crack and brilliant banter, which is, you know, which we're known for in the Northeast. So his story is is quite phenomenal. Um, he grew up on a really difficult housing estate in the Northeast of England um, and struggled at school. And then three days after his 17th birthday, he joined the Marines. And the training, I mean, you know, I thought I knew quite a bit, but this training is the most grueling. Like, it's it was just... Um, intense and we're talking about you know in the 19 late 1970s um early 80s 60 next year I can't do the maths um but the the training was just brutal um and then after that when he when he kind of completed his training he went to the Falklands and he was um he was part of the Battle of Mount Harriet and then he went to Northern Ireland um and then he joined the fire brigade where he was in the fire service for 25 years. So his book is around his, it's around his career, Michelle, and, um, and the different roles he's had. And he's had, he had a few jobs in between. And now he's a personal trainer focusing on mindset and mental health. And not only is it about his duty in a work capacity, but it's about his family. It's about mm -hmm. his children. It's about his mother. It's about him being a friend, being part of the community. And for all the really um, powerful, poignant, moving parts of the book, there's some absolute laugh out loud moments. And that's what's 
got Jeff through that and his mindset, that camaraderie, you know, the 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 kind of darkest of humours at the, the most critical times. Um, you know, and that's what kind of kept him going and his comrades going through some of the most unbelievable situations. Um, and it's kept him going throughout his life. So it's a brilliant book and it's been an absolute honour for Right on the Time to publish it. Um, and just to help, you know, give Jeff that platform and give him that voice and hopefully again inspire other people to write memoirs because we think well, life isn't interesting, but we're all very interesting. We've all got our own narrative and it's important to share. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for, you know, doing the work that you do and, and, and sharing these stories because it's very, like you said, a lot of the times people don't think or they think, well, who wants to read my story? Like, mm-hmm. right. Like I, I did a memoir, a mini memoir. And I'm like, I don't know if it's, I don't know if, if it, the only people that read my blog were like three people. And I was like, I'll, you know, throw it out there. So I literally dipped my toe in the water and now, you know, I'm going to do a book too. And so I was Please. like, you know what, if, if somebody else out there can, you know, uh, find some sort of peace or joy mm-hmm in my words, then I've done my job, which was literally just one thing, share my story. That's it. Sharing our stories are so important. That's what connects us. That's, that's why I went and got my degree in literature. It's because we tell stories and we connect through stories. Your story is really important because of the, you're talking about love and loss and grief and strength. People will think, and see that if Michelle can do it, I can do it. So you don't realize, you know, when you when you're sharing something really important to you personally, you're not only is it cathartic, but it can literally change people's lives. You know, it can save people's lives. The words can save people's lives because people feel alone. And reading your memoir and other memoirs and bits of writing coming from the heart can absolutely transform someone and make them make them have hope. And that's just it, it's priceless. It's absolutely priceless. Absolutely. And what what's funny is as you're uh, talking about um, uh, duty, and uh, my mind kind of flashed to um, when I was stationed in Turkey. I was part of a humanitarian effort, and the British soldiers were there, and I hung out with these guys. And <laughs> I'll tell you what: the best stories I have are hanging out with the British soldiers. <laughs> They're badasses. They were hardcore and they were so much fun and crazy. Like we would go to their tent. So there was tent city on base and we lived in the dorms. So we had buildings, but you didn't hang out in the dorms. You hung out at the British tent. That's where <laughs> you went. That's where you went. And it was really cool because inside it had the, the flag, um, it had the union Jack in there and uh, on the ceiling and so it was so you walked in and you like instantly felt like you were transported into England like I said it was it was the place to be it was the place to hang out and the work ethic of these guys that work hard play hard yes and then um my roommate in the air force was uh she was actually born in Rhodesia which is now Zimbabwe because her country fell but her father was SAS he was a sharpshooter in the SAS and so I was always like asking, I was like, do you have any crazy stories about your dad? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, but I can't tell you. <laughs> she would just mess with me all the time. <laughs> I was like, what did he do out there? You guys were in Africa. I was like, he's SAS. He's a badass. 
She's like, yeah, he's a bad SAS. <laughs> yeah. So it was a, uh, it was, it was a lot. I had, like I said, I had, a, I had a lot of fun in the military. I, I'm, like I said, I'm my best friend. I literally have, so several 30 year friendships and I have two from not so civilians, but I have three that are military. So my five best friends, the majority is actually from the military. I met them when I was a baby. We were all babies when we met and we have all remained friends. Oh, wow. How long did you serve, Michelle? I'm sorry? How long did you serve? I was only in for eight years. Well, that's um, a lot. It's, it's, I guess. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service. Thank you. It was, uh, like I said, I, I, I can't complain about my experience. It was an amazing experience for me. Um, I, like, I, I got to serve in a humanitarian effort. Like not many people get to say that about the military. And so, and like I said, I met, I met amazing guys. Um, uh, we hung out. The best thing about it was I really learned that when you're in the middle of the no, in the middle of nowhere, cause we were, we we're in the middle of nowhere. Um, you just you do you bond over the silliest things it uh let's let's get back to so it's time for eric oh eric 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 so is eric your first cat since so i always had cats um at home i always have cats and they kind of found us michelle so it would often have two cats and then one would maybe pass and then another one would find me. So we always had cats at home. And then when I moved out from my parents' home, um, I got a cat from the shelter. Um, and then Holly Holly was like 16 when he died. He lived, lived quite a, a long life. And then um, I met my new partner and Holly was still around and then he passed. Um, and I just wasn't ready for another, another cat. And I think because Holly was... Holly was kind of my company when I split up from me, me long-term partner. Um, and I just, I, I was just really struggling to think that I could have another pet, you know, and I think people don't always appreciate how much pets are part of their lives. I haven't got children and, and my cat honestly felt like my child, you know, when, when, when I would return home after trying to be out all day because I didn't want to be lonely, the cat would be there for us. And, you know, at, at times he was my best friend. So when I lost him, it was a, it was a massive blow. Um, and then it was during COVID when I was working at home a little bit more. Um, even as a key worker, I was kind of doing stuff from home. And I thought, I'm ready for a cat. So Eric um, was a homeless cat. He was involved with a charity called New Beginnings, um, a local charity to me who rescue cats and feral cats and the, one of the ladies who actually lives in my street, it's really weird how people are linked, but the lady who lived in my street and we didn't know at the time, bless her, she goes around and picks up like dead cats off the side of roads and tries to find out who they belong to, God love her. So she's a total earth angel. Um, but I got in touch with a lady who I knew who was a foster carer for cats and, and Eric was at her home and she had um, a small flat and like 18 cats and a dog and um, trying to just look after these cats for the charity. So we went and got Eric um, and we found out that Eric had nearly died three times, a cat flu. Um, and he's a bit of a runt. He's got really small legs, but a big heart. Um, so we brought Eric home and 
he kind of settled really quickly, Michelle, and just his little personality. He's very vocal. His his noise is terrible. Um, and when I was on my team's calls, he kept putting his bum hole on the screen to show me colleagues in his empty empty ball sack, which was quite embarrassing when I was on a call with like the police and social services. Then you just get a quick, you know, the, the screen would be taken off with Eric's ginger balls, um, ball sack in his bum hole. Um, so he wasn't <laughs> as cute then, but people just loved him and he's such a character and what happened was basically my partner when I when I began my social media sort of journey for me writing my partner started a social media for Eric um and Eric is just an absolute sensation especially on Twitter and he's just a real joy and people I mean people people on Twitter are awful but if you're a cat it's just it's just a delight to be honest so they love Eric, and every morning people will say, Eric, I can't stop my date, I've seen a photo of you, and he just brings joy to so many people. And because of that, he entered the, the, the Cats Protection Awards, and he won, and we're on the one show and on BBC and got an award and uh, brought it home for the Northeast. So he's done really well. He's just been selling calendars, nudes um, of 2024, and we'll raise about £170 through selling calendars, and we'll, we'll split that money and took it to two charities including New Beginnings where Eric was from and next year Eric's going to start his own children's book um, and I kind of fell into this because at the Cats Protection Awards I was on the Prosecco so I was all excited and I mentioned doing a children's book um, not having any idea how to do a children's book but I mentioned doing it so now um, I've committed to doing a children's book about Eric with a focus on a dog don't shop um, and the proceeds will go to Cats Protection, the, the charity. So that'll be happening next year. So he's dead excited to be in his own um, book. But he continues to have his own social media and just loves making friends um, and just getting the praise because he had such a terrible start of life and he was so desperate. And now he's got his forever home. Um, and we just want to, to celebrate the rescue cat um, and cats in general and just how they can, they can give you know, give give a home the paw print of approval. Um, so that's that's about Eric. What about your onyx then? What's the story there? Uh, so so I actually, um, Brandy, uh, my partner, she has had him for twenty. He's going to be twenty four uh, <gasps> next oh, year. No so he's twenty three right now. Oh my word! So I I grew up much like you. My first pet was a cat. And, um, uh, I, unfortunately we didn't have, we moved, uh, my dad was, uh, in the army. And so we were living in, in Texas and then we moved back home to California and the cat didn't come with us. And it was, I was just crushed. I, yeah, exactly. That face. Yeah. Just crushed. There's a picture. I'm going to have to send it to you. I have a picture of me as a little toddler with the cat in my pram. I, <sighs> Hated my pram. Okay. I hated it. I never pushed it around. It was this olive green seventies, horrible thing. And I was, I didn't play with dolls. So I don't know why my mom got me this pram in the first place, but the cat, that was her favorite place. And when the cat was in the pram, I was happy. I would would push the pram around, but if there was a dolly in it, forget it. That thing was staying in the corner. So so uh so I grew up with cats like it was just like my first love like and same thing we rescued her she she had babies underneath our car and so we rescued her 
Um, we didn't get to keep any of the kitties, but we kept her. All the cats went to, you know, neighbor, the, our neighbors. And then, uh, like I said, so so just, you know, crushed as a child, as five-year-old. And then my mom had a couple of cats, uh, uh, you know, growing up, but they were never my cats. I never had a cat. And so all my life, all I ever wanted was a cat that I could come home to that would curl up on my lap, that would just purr me to sleep. You know, these, <laughs> these are the things that I've always wanted, but I never had. And then, uh, you know, fast forward, um, I, with Brandy, her, I was nervous to meet her cat. I was, cause I was, I was like, is he going to like me? <laughs> and so I met the dog and the cats and they both loved me. And so I was like, okay, I have a family. Like I was like, my life is full. I was like, I have a partner and we have a dog and we have a cat. I have an family. Like, this is great. Life is great. And as I got to know him, he truly became the cat. I truly always wanted. He is the sweetest cat. He doesn't scratch. He doesn't bite uh, unless you have, you know, food in your hand. And then he like tries to swat at it. And, you know, that's is just being a cat. Um, but he is the sweetest. He truly is the cat that I waited my whole life for. And I didn't oh, get him man. until I was 47, oh. 48, sorry, 48. So, so true love, even in fur friends, you <laughs> never know when you're going to get it. You never know. <laughs> That's so, perfect. It's, it's perfect. Awesome. It really is. <laughs> Been truly lovely getting to know you. Oh, and I, I hate you. that we're, we're going to be ending here soon things coming up that you want to share um yes please so my next book um with my publisher kale davis publishing is due out next april um and that's called 31 days of may and it is basically about a young a young girl um a young woman who experiences some tragedy and starts to find light in the darkest of places so without giving too much away it's kind of about serendipity and about um hope and friendship um so that comes out in april next year um and the the eric book will be out next summer and i'm also working on a book for um people who have survived mental ill health that's with the nhs and a charity called every turn so that'll be coming out next may for mental health month but apart from that I'm, I'm hoping to have a bit of a, a bit of a quieter year in 2024 I haven't got the energy I had 20 years ago or 10 years ago or even five years ago um but it's all good and thank you very much for inviting us along and for being interested in in my world and Eric absolutely it's been a true pleasure getting to know you and, and I'm gonna have to try some Yorkshire tea I, I'm really curious to have uh, like I'm ready I'm gonna go see if I can find some Yorkshire tea so thank you for sharing that thank you for sharing your stories thank you for hanging out thank, thank you for you. of course you know uh, like I, I have your uh Eric the smell of Eric I was like I want to smell Eric now too so uh <laughs> so thank you so much could you send us off and say my tagline go forth and be magical Thank you very much. Go forth and be magical.